<clears throat> now we come to our reading from 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 25. It's a long reading, and if, it, if I was putting the title to this, I would say, free gifts, but make the best choice. So let's see what Paul has to say to us. And he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, 
he will be convinced by all that he is that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship god exclaiming god is really here among you god's word may bless our hearts amen please be seated no one else in history is like you what a fantastic thing to hear this morning that should fill us with passion john fills me with passion when i hear him speak and if we could bottle it sometimes john we would go a long way now i'm very aware of timings for today job fair after church newcomers barbecue and england versus panama at one o'clock so if this sermon starts to move on beyond 30 minutes please let me know. But, please could you give me a sign? A sign that I can understand. Something like that, or something else you may think of. But, please can you keep the sign simple so that I can understand? I'd like you to come with me. I'm going to move down here, that's okay. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. Now, this here is Sammy the spider plant. Okay, I'm not going to lift him up because his house is a little bit broken. He might fall apart. Now, I'm no Monty Don or Percy Thrower. If you can remember who Percy Thrower was back in the old Blue Peter style. I haven't got green fingers. But I've managed to get this to grow. Now, if you know a thing about spider plants, you will notice that the growth comes, and I'm going to lift it up, right from the centre. Okay? But actually, it blossoms at the edge of the spider plant. So I was thinking, well, how can that be like our church? How can the growth come from the centre and yet blossom on the outside. There's something called missional communities, where the church go into the community and are the church on the outside. I'm not going to say too much about that right now, but I want you to think about that. Are we going to be a church where growth is visible on the outside and supported by the centre of the plant. I'll leave that with you. You can think about as I speak. If you get bored, you can come back to that in a minute. But that would be fantastic. Thanks, Pete. You can close that slide off now. So today, I want to concentrate on how we communicate our message to the outside so we get that growth on the outside. How we communicate the message of the gospel to non-Christians, which, as John has beautifully pointed out, is our mission. I want to look at the style of language that we use and why it may be a barrier to the message we are trying to get across. The message that is the key factor within our relationships, within our community. So I've got three things 
to think about. And I will be asking you to think this morning. If we're going to preach to the unchurched, we need to think like a missionary. Imagine that you were going to be communicating the gospel to people who didn't speak your language. They weren't from your culture. You had to travel across the seas to go and see them. There would be a few assumptions that you just would not make. You wouldn't assume that they knew what you knew. You wouldn't assume that they cared about what you cared about. And you wouldn't assume that they were aware that they actually needed God's forgiveness. I would like to suggest that we need to think about those three things when we communicate the gospel to people who are unchurched, to non-believers, even if they are in our own country or speak our own language. So a challenge. I've got a bit of a game. Here we go. Right, this is called Guess the Meaning. Okay? I'm going to put up three words. And you guys, really quickly, have just got to guess the meaning of what the words are. Okay? Now, I'll give you a little clue. Okay? These words are used by real people real groups of people, and I've heard them the past two weeks. Okay, I haven't made them up. I haven't made the meanings up. Okay, the first one is fly. What do you think that meaning, what do you think that is a word for that? What do you think it is? What do you think the meaning is for that word? Really quickly, without even thinking about it, what do you think it might mean? If I say the word fly, what am I saying? It is what? It's really good. You can spot the teacher in the house, can't you? Okay, that was Marion. So, when people say something is fly, they say it's really good. Okay? There's some blank faces. That was the e- that's the easiest one coming up. Okay? Right. When someone says the word peng, and this is used in modern day language by people who speak English, okay, to explain something, they say something is peng, what do they mean? Any ideas? Any guesses? It's good. You're on the right kind of line with that kind of thing. Yes, thank you from the back. They actually mean something's beautiful. So I once had a girl in my class say, oh, my boyfriend, he's really ping. Okay, and I thought, what does it, he's some sort of pingu? Does he smell? Um, no, 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 no. He, 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 he's beautiful. Something is ping. And then this one I heard as well. Chatting breeze. Okay, this is not a fabric softener. Okay, um, but if something is, ch- or you're someone is chatting breeze, what do you think they might mean? Any ideas? Doesn't look like I'm going to get any ideas. Okay, almost. Okay, almost. It actually means that you are saying something bad about someone. You are chatting breeze, my brother. Can't believe I said that in church. Okay, from the west side. But you are chatting breeze. You are saying something bad. I didn't understand 
what was being said when my students or my son used those words. When I heard them for the first time, I had no idea what they meant. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And it made me feel really old. And the worrying thing was, they didn't realise that I didn't understand. What are you talking about? You don't understand what the word peng means. But I've been on both sides of this issue recently when it comes to understanding information. As you may know, I'm a teacher, and I stand in front of children each day trying to explain different things about different world religions to them. And sometimes their faces look very vague. In fact, some of their exam results this year suggested that I did not get across the messages I wanted to in the correct way. On the other side of things, I have sat in deacons' meetings when we've been discussing financial matters, and some of the language that has been used has gone way over my head. And Carol Blesser had to break it down into layman's terms. She used to use simple language so that I could understand. Thank you, Carol, for the work you do. We'll be lost without you. An adapted quote from C.S. Lewis. The true test of teaching is not using jargon. Any fool can do that. The true test of teaching is when you take a complicated idea and explain it in such a way that anyone can understand. Let's do a little task. Right, there should be some Bibles in front of you. Okay? If not, you can work in pairs. I don't mind that, but don't work in pairs. If someone you know, you can look over their shoulder. Try and think for yourselves. Right, okay? I would like you to find John 3.16. Okay? I know you know it, okay? but I would still like you to find it. In Sunday school, when I was many years ago, and we asked to find a Bible verse, someone would put their hand in the air and say, I've got it, like a sword, but that's okay. Are we all there? Good stuff, yes? Excellent. Now, now you've found it, I would like you to read it. Just that verse, John 3, 16. Done that? Good. Now, I'm going to ask you to read it again in a minute. But as you read it again, I want you to ask yourself the following questions. If I were unchurched, and it's the first time I'd ever was looking at this Bible passage, what is it in there that might confuse me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal and everlasting life. This sounds clear and familiar. But imagine if it was the first time you heard the verse. You might find yourself asking some of the following questions. Am I never going to die? Or if I'm going to die and have eternal life, does that mean my heart will never stop? Does that mean I become bulletproof? If God has a son, who is his wife? Remember, you might think these questions are silly. But remember, that's because you're familiar with the text. 
A missionary should never assume that their audience knows what they know. And in order to communicate with the unchurched, we can't make that assumption either. Ask someone with no church experience what it means to feel called, and they might well think you are referring to the phone vibrating in their pocket. Non-Christians do not understand or may not understand biblical text. They may not even understand what the Bible is. The fact is they feel it boring. Therefore, to capture the imagination, we use illustrations. What an illustration does is rather simple. It shows how the Bible fits life. Jesus was known as a master communicator. It's interesting how many times in the Bible it says, and he spoke a parable unto them. Jesus understood something very simple. People love stories. With that in mind, here's a thought on three very famous words that we may often say. And I'm going to say these words three times. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. When I'm learning lines for a play or performance, I tend to repeat them in my head over and over and over again until they just go straight in there and I say them without even thinking about them. God loves you. God loves you. Again, we say it sometimes without even thinking about it. But what does those three words, what could they mean to non-believers? How are we going to get that message across that God loves you to someone who doesn't know that? Here are two possible ways you could do that. I once read in a Valentine's card the following message. You are my first thought in the morning and my last thought at night. If God slept, you would be his first person on his mind. When he woke up, so I'll say that again. If God slept, you'd be the, um, the last person on his mind when he went to sleep, and the first person on his mind when he woke up. When I was in my first year of my senior school, I made this truly awful dinosaur out of clay. Truly awful. The head was wonky, it fell over, and it was awful. But my mother showed love to me by putting that dinosaur on the windowsill. God would be that parent that would take your artwork and put it on the refrigerator for everyone to see. You are the apple of his eye. And if you were the only one on earth, he would still want to have a relationship with you. In other words, God loves you. Explain a message in ways people can empathise with. Explain a message in ways that people can understand. The second assumption that a missionary shouldn't make when thinking about an audience that's unchurched or unfamiliar with the scriptures is that the audience values what they value. 
In fact, what we need to do in our preaching is to recognise that people may not see the same things that we think are important as important themselves. I read this recently about a church pastor in the United States that had a chat with an atheist. The atheist said to him, you know, in all honesty, I'm probably more of an agnostic. I don't really know if God exists. In fact, I don't really know what happens to us after we die. But in truth, I don't care much. I don't care much. My father-in-law said these words to me yesterday. I don't really care what happens to me when I die. That's a different value to what we may have. We would go, who doesn't care about the questions of God's existence or what happens to them after we die? Well, apparently this person didn't, or my own family member didn't. We are raised to believe that certain things are valuable, and we must build our lives around them. But we can't assume our audience believes the same things or has the same values. This means that in our preaching and our teaching of the gospel, we're not going to assume they value the same thing. Instead, we've got to show them why they should value it. My third assumption that we shouldn't make or try to avoid is that the audience or the people who are unchurched at the moment are aware of their need for forgiveness. Some may not even be aware of that. If we look at Victorian England, most people were either trying to be Christian, thought they should be Christian, identified with being Christian, or at some point in time thought, actually, one day I will be. So we can assume that what they were doing or failing to do was all in the light of being Christian or Christianity. We could no longer make that assumption. We can no longer assume that people are aware of the need for forgiveness. An important strategy in helping people see their need for forgiveness is through the use of testimony. Make things personal. Use your own testimony. Use someone that has just given their life to Christ. Ask yourself some questions. How did I used to be? What is it that helped you see your need for forgiveness? How did you receive that forgiveness? And how can the person listening receive that forgiveness as well? If you identify where you were, you'll have a better understanding of the people we are talking to about where they are coming from. When we share our testimonies and are communicating the gospel to people, they will have a better understanding of what it actually looks like to see the need for forgiveness. But more importantly, the need to embrace it. And as I said earlier on, people enjoy listening to stories. They can relate to them. They can understand them. In my opinion, 
if we're going to be an effective communicator of the gospel to the unchurched, we need to think like a missionary. A missionary is not going to assume that the audience knows what they know. Not going to assume they value the same things. Not going to assume that they need to know God's forgiveness. Therefore, it's important in our work that we shape the messages in such a way that we help people understand what it is we have already learned. Yes, we can rejoice in corporate worship. Yes, we can rejoice in Christian fellowship. Yes, we can rejoice in private devotion. But we must not neglect the essential work and the untapped joy of sharing Christ with those who do not yet know him. Speaking to non-Christians is a massive challenge. It is very scary. It is intimidating. But the rewards and harvest are beyond our wildest dreams. But there's one thing we cannot forget. It is our job. It's not the job of the person sitting next to you. It is not the job of one person in the church. It is not the job of a role of a future employee of BRBC. It's the job of all of us. I want you to turn to Matthew 28, verse 19. We've read it already, but I want you to turn to it now. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is my job. This is your job. This is our job. This was our great commission. Through the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, using the words that we say, God can use us to have an impact on people's lives. But remember, keep it simple. 